It's Wednesday, December 16th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Molly Full Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Wednesday. Hey, thank you. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Federal Reserve, but apparently they're meeting today. Really? Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> Here's the thing. This Every- story has been dropped by the financial media. <laughs> And you, thank goodness, are there shedding a little light on a story that no one else, no one else seems to be covering. Every once in a while, we pull back the curtain here at Market Foolery and give you, the listener, just a little bit of insight on on how we go about our business. So let me do that in two ways. God, this will be fascinating. How <laughs> do that's the sound of people turning off their podcasts? Just like, oh, I'm going to skip this. Uh, so we typically tape market foolery around noon, ish, ish, yeah, and that's happening. So that today. we can go and get lunch, at a <laughs> and then hour. the Fed is making an announcement in a couple of hours. So we're not going to be able to comment intelligently about what the Fed has done today by the time you're listening to this because uh, we're taping before then. But I think it's safe to say that it would be shocking if the Fed did anything other than. Raise interest rates a quarter percent. Would you be shocked? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, shocked. It's, it's maybe that's it's, an over. There's a lot of telegraphing that uh, this the Fed has been diligent in managing expectations, and expectations are set. And it yes would be shocking if Fed failed to do exactly what was expected because they seem to want that to be the case. You've been someone who's covered the market for 20 years, nearly 20 years. Uh, Do we focus too much on the Federal Reserve? We certainly focus on it more, in part because of the rise of social media, Twitter, etc. So, there's just a lot more media to be consumed. But, what do you think? It depends on who we is, right? And... So, Buffett, uh, who we focus on here all the time because he says many intelligent things, uh, had written once or probably more than once that you know interest rates, every time interest rates change, the value of everything else changes as well. And that's because if you're doing a discounted cash flow model, which is what you should do to value stocks, you have to have a discounting factor, which is based on what the risk-free rate is, with some adjustment for the riskiness of the asset that you're determining to discount. Now people have really all tuned out. But the, <laughs> no, 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 no. You you brought them back when you invoked discounted cash flows. The basis of that is what is the risk-free rate, and the Fed is is. Uh, you know, changing interest rates uh, today, and that will change the risk free rate, and that ultimately, and and so the value of all assets in the world sort of derives from the U.S. Uh, U.S. interest rates, uh, and and particularly the you know the rate that the government will pay um, on the the ten year bond, the thirty year bond. So it's in the sense that everything relies upon our interest rates. It is not. Too much to always be asking. Well, where are they? But they really haven't moved a whole lot, you know, in the last ten years. So. And it's not going to change the way you invest as an individual. Uh, no, this a uh, quarter point rate rate hike here is not. No. And now I think that it's an indication that rates are going to be higher 
down the line, and they're going to. The expectation right now is that they're going to move higher very gradually. And so, if there's any movement from that in the words of the Fed today or in their actions, then I, that could have a, a rather substantial effect on you know assets around the world. I know we're only talking about an additional quarter percent, but it is kind of fun just for a moment in theory, to think about the chaos that would ensue if the Fed came out and said, uh, we're raising interest rates uh, half a percent. Or cut rates. <laughs> they can't cut rates. They're at zero. They can cut them. But that's, that's a topic for another <laughs> another podcast. By the way, there is a... Uh, you can have rates less than zero. Uh, that's probably not a great idea, though, is it? Uh, ask the Europeans. Market foolery at fool.com. <laughs> if you know a European, ask them <laughs> what they think is of our their email. negative interest rates. Is our email address. Feel free to weigh in on that. Um, really good episode um, of Motley Fool Answers. Actually, the latest episode of Motley Fool Answers, our weekly, uh, one of our weekly podcasts here at the Motley Fool, is Morgan Housel talking all about the Federal Reserve. Really good stuff. And by the way, happy one year anniversary to Motley Fool Answers. Kudos to our colleagues, Allison Southwick, Robert Brokamp. Doing a great job every week. And if you haven't checked out Motley Fool Answers, now's the time. Um, I, I said at the top there were there were two behind the curtain things I had to mention. One was when we taped this podcast. The other is you may have noticed a technical glitch uh, with our podcast, and uh, that's entirely on me. Basically, long story short, and we're working on this, but uh, uh, I attempted to update the description of Market Foolery. Uh, to include our email address, and in doing so, it appears that I've uh, somehow erased the description of every episode, so that there's no individual description on an episode. Well uh, done. Yes. Again, this is what happens when uh, a, a technical moron like me attempts to do something technical. So by, by erase, what do you mean? Uh, it's it's. I, I'll show you afterward. It's 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 not terrible because uh, we're still publishing the podcast. But if you if you click on the description and you say, "Oh, I wonder what they what they're talking about on this episode," it just includes a generic description of market foolery. They're talking about that date in history. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, let's move on to McDonald's because McDonald's stock is hitting a new all-time high today, and I'm going to take a little victory lap on this one. All day breakfast is succeeding. It launched on October 6th, and in, uh, according to a report out from N, uh, NPD Group, a research firm, uh, breakfast food orders have risen nearly 10 percent. And I said back in March when Steve Easterbrook became the CEO, let's give this guy the benefit of the doubt. Let's let's. I'd rather have a CEO of a company like this going in there and trying new things, and uh, and this is working. And and not just that the stock hitting an all time high today. It's up about twenty one, maybe twenty two percent since Easterbrook took over. Yes, that's a nice run. It is a nice run. They're on a a, a bit of a roll. And uh, as we often say around here, or at least I do, you know, it's it's nice to have an easy act to follow, and and that was that was the case uh, here. And uh, they're they're doing a number of of little things uh, which have added up to uh, big improvements. Uh, they've simplified the menu. I think the all day breakfast gets uh, the vast majority of the coverage, but there's also uh, additional value. 
uh, platform uh, on on the menu that they're uh, releasing. Uh, they've improved their uh, their mobile uh, uh, app, and they're doing a number of things that it, others had been doing before. Uh, and uh, who doesn't love all day breakfast? And and they have indicated that they are increasing. This was uh, from their investor day last month in November. You may have covered this uh, that they're uh, returning thirty billion to shareholders by the end of uh, twenty sixteen, uh, whereas twenty billion had had been the previous expectation. So, you know, they're they're sort of recapitalized the company by taking on a little little bit of debt, ten billion. May sound like a lot, but for a company with McDonald's cash flow, it's it's doable. Uh, it's still still a good time to take on debt if you're, you know, a a highly rated uh, corporation. Right, and you know, at least for another couple hours, uh, the the rates are what the rates are. Um, do you think, given the rise of the stock, because I I don't think anyone. Looks at a company as mature as McDonald's, uh, as big as McDonald's, and thinks this is a stock that is primed to rise twenty percent in any given year. So the fact that it's happened in less than nine months, I mean, I I thought Easterbrook would do well in part because, as you said, he had an easy act to follow, and he seemed like someone who not only had some new ideas but had the cachet to attempt some new ideas. All that said, I wasn't expecting the stock to pop more than 20% just in this calendar year alone. And I'm wondering if anyone looking at this stock now may have already missed the boat. Well, okay. I mean, when you start separating things into what is a stock done over a calendar year, I'm looking over the last 10 years, and in five of them, McDonald's moved up by more than 25% in a year. So, Including this year, uh, so it's it's up 28 percent year to date, and uh, it's it was up 34 percent in 2006, 36 percent 2007, 26 uh, percent in 2010. So you know it it's it's not far from unprecedented. And you know the the years where it wasn't moving up 10 percent, uh, it was a couple of them were negative, including last year, and that's that's a rather surprising move uh, for a company like McDonald's to have negative returns because really it's been a great long-term performer. Um, but it, it's it's a good year following a bad year. You even those out, and you've got you know over the last ten years, the average return for McDonald's is fifteen uh, percent. So that's pretty nice. Between last year and this year, or last year it was flat, down just a, a hair. This year, up twenty eight percent so far. You know, it's it's kind of an average two year period for which is that's a great average if you can keep, you know, fourteen uh, percent compound that over ten years, you're doing phenomenally. Now, one part of that is restaurants. The comp group for restaurants have also moved up. Fourteen and a half percent over the last ten years, so it has mildly outperformed its comp group. Restaurants have been a phenomenal thing to be invested in, as more and more dual-income families are taking more and more food out and and preparing less and less at home. So uh, it's it's led to some questioning whether restaurants, as a group, uh, are are overpriced, and I've heard restaurants. I think I've mentioned on the show restaurants getting grouped in with biotech, <laughs> and you know, as like sectors which are so hot that right. you know, you, should you beware? 
So I think that you're raising that as well. Is is it too late? They also have that nice dividend they pay at McDonald's, which I'm reminded of every once in a while because our colleague James Early, who runs the Motley Fool's Income Investor Service, which is focused completely on dividend stocks, uh, that's been a recommendation over time for James. And I love that about James because James is, in terms of his diet, one of the healthiest people I know. He has an incredibly healthy diet. And it's just clear that he's able to separate his personal beliefs from his investing strategies, because McDonald's is one of the last places on earth that he would go to have a meal. But he looks at it and and runs the numbers. Runs the numbers and says, "I'm this is a, a stock I want to invest in and recommend." By the way, have you ever read? You're an incredibly well-read person. Have you ever incredibly? <laughs> have you have you ever read David Halberstam's book, The Fifties? I have. Thank you for. Bringing up a book that I actually have read <laughs> after an introduction like that. Um, it's it, it's a wonderful book for. It's uh, one of the millions I've read. Yes, uh, um, as the title would suggest, it is uh, David Halberstam covering the 1950s in America, and there is a narrative throughout. But but one of the reasons I love the book is because there are chapters that essentially could be just standalone chapters, you know, 15, 20 pages, and you could just pluck them out and just read that. And one of his chapters is about McDonald's. It's about the McDonald's brothers. And you mentioned how part of the success that they've had over the last couple of months is simplifying the menu. That was really the first success they had when they came in and they were they were they initially were trying to sell all these different things and they thought then they once they actually started to analyze what people were buying they realized you know what we sell a lot of burgers we sell a lot of fries so maybe we shouldn't be you know buying fryers just for the fried chicken we should we shouldn't sell the fried chicken we don't have to worry about hot dogs or chili or any of those other things let's just simplify the menu make it burgers and fries and go from there you know a good story you're familiar with the work of mark knopfler uh, yes <laughs> the musician the musician yes yes because um, well his uh, his place in rock and roll and also as a composer uh, he did the soundtrack of the Princess Bride. He did, he did, and he's he's known for that. And also, why am I blanking on the name of the group? Dire Straits. Dire Straits. Yes. Dire Straits. Because you are getting older, and, and, <laughs> and word and name recall is becoming harder and harder. It not is. To, yes. Not to draw the curtain back on other parts of life <laughs> that too familiar with. Um, but he wrote, I think, the definitive rock song based on the life story of Ray Kroc. Founder of McDonald's. Really? Yeah. What was the song? Boom like that. Okay, I'm going to take your can word. We, can we roll that at the end of the show in, um, for people who stick around? Or no, do, you, do you have that capacity? Uh, you know what? No, we're not going to do that because uh, really, we're, we're, you, here's it's what. all it's all Christmas all the time. Uh, it's a holiday all the time. If you listened uh, to yesterday's episode, we had uh, a wonderful version of uh, the Dreidel song by the Slackers. So you know, it's not just. Not only Christmas, but it is holiday music. So unless you tell me that this is also a holiday-themed song about McDonald's, no, we're not playing it. But wow. say, but say the name of the song again. Boom like that. Boom like that. People have the internet; they can it, look it so, up. So so Mark Knopfler would would read you know books and and then write the un, unlikely rock songs about you know the the subject matter, like uh, the 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 Mason Dixon line. What's his song about the Mason Dixon line? Sailing to Philadelphia. Of course, 
Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, about, about, you know, is it based on the, I believe, the autobiography of Mason or Dixon? I can't remember which. Who sailed to Philadelphia and, and then worked on uh, the Mason-Dixon line. Wow. Any listeners that we didn't already lose when you mentioned the discounted cash flow model? We just really <laughs> we just lost them again. We just lost the additional ones they've given up. Even I would have though, thought the interest rates would have driven them away. Oh, well, there's that as well. Um, even though we are going to wrap up uh, by talking about the business of sports, and in this case, uh, the news hook is Sports Illustrated this week unveiling their Sports Person of the Year. And I know you were happy about this because uh, it's a tennis player, Serena Williams, who won three of the four major titles in tennis. Um, such a phenomenal... And I know she's still playing. That's, but that, to me, is in some ways the most amazing thing about Serena Williams, is, is for her sport, she is considered old. She's the oldest player uh, in women's tennis uh, in the modern era to be ranked number one. And yet, I mean, she's she's incredibly dominant. She's, you know, she she can play for as long as she wants, um, but you can already look back on her career and say, yes, we're, when we're making up the short list of the greatest women tennis players of all time, she's absolutely on that list, if not at the top of it. You yeah. were you were happy with the selection? Yeah, she she had a phenomenal year, and I think that it. Uh, is as deserving as probably any number of other people and probably would have been deserving in other years because she's this is far from a one-year thing for her uh, and it's nice for those of us who are tennis fans to see any additional recognition for the sport uh, it was a it was a good year for a lot of uh, a lot of other athletes it's, it's never really a surprise that Sports Illustrated lands on an American, over, right. You know, <laughs> right? Because I think one of the other finalists was Novak Djokovic, and who had every bit as good a year. Um, I think, well, not every bit as good a year as Serena, but but very close, and um, would would have been a, a worthy recipient. The not as worthy as Serena, who won three Grand Slams this year. So, you know, who else is happy about this? Obviously, is Nike. Nike. I would say Nike is very happy that one of their sponsored athletes is landing on the cover and winning this award. Yes, edging out uh, two uh, Under Armour athletes that uh, Jordan, could, Jordan Jordan Spieth. He was a finalist. He was a finalist. Steph Curry was a finalist, also big with Under Armour. Yeah. Um, was uh, Nate Weissar, uh, your colleague down at Motley Fool Fund, saying Lionel Messi is with Adidas? He was saying that, and we haven't fact checked. Yeah. Let's let's. Let's just assume, and it's probably a safe assumption, that Nate's knowledge of soccer in this regard is higher than yours and mine. Oh, yes. Combined. Combined. <laughs> and multiplied by, um, by many. You had mentioned that uh, to me uh, this morning, the thing about Sports Illustrated picking Americans. I, I hadn't really given it much thought, and then I, I pulled up the Wikipedia page, which is helpful because they've got the little flags next to it. They, they list out everyone who's ever won uh, sports person of the year for Sports Illustrated, and then they they put the flag of of where they are. And the last non-American to to win this award, Sammy Sosa from the Dominican Republic in 1998. He and Mark McGuire won it. Um, although Sammy Sosa, um, a Dominican Republic athlete uh, who at the time was dominating a a can, <laughs> can they take that award back? Very much uh, an American sport. 
wait, take the award back? Can they? Is is it one of those awards that can be retracted? I don't think they because I think you know Sammy and, and Mark are little little tainted on that one. Oh, now. with the with the steroids, with the whole steroids thing, yeah. Um, I don't know if they've done that. No, I don't. I, I don't a, think they it's have. Not really that official an award, I guess. You know. Um, anyone from court tennis uh, on the on the finalist lists or? Uh, it was another good year for for Rob Fay, but he's never won uh, the Sports <laughs> Illustrated uh, Sportsman of the Year. For those unfamiliar, give me those the, few. Those few unfamiliar with court. Give me the because this is a sport that you you play, you compete in, you go to you go to international tournaments to compete in court tennis. Court tennis is the the I guess the forefather of tennis, but in what ways forefather of all racket sports? Okay, and in what way is it? How far back does it date? Uh, no, one, no one knows. Okay. <laughs> well, that's convenient. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's got to be, what, 1800s, 1700s? How far no, back? No, like 1400s. 1400s? No, no, no. When Shakespeare was writing about tennis, as he did on occasion, um, including probably most famously in Henry V, but, um, or Henry, sorry, Henry IV Part Part One. I, 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 I sh- it, it being as famous as I've just declared it to be, I should remember. You should remember. But the the movie, okay, you remember the movie, uh, Henry V with Henry, Kenneth Branagh. With Kenneth Branagh, yeah, yeah wonderful. It's about Henry V, but it's the the plays are Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two, right? Yes. And uh, before the Battle of Agincourt, which is the big, you know, so he's got the big speech, which is now there's something you should go to YouTube for. Anytime oh, the, you got to get fired up for something. Yes, the St. Crispin's Day speech. Yes, fantastic. Phenomenal. Yes. That's what you should run at the end of the show. I'm just going to give you, much as I'm a fan of Christmas and, and running uh, any holiday music, I think, you know, that you should do, you should open shows with that. With the the, the same- music. Just the music, you know, to open the show. Could you do that? I don't know. Play I, you in on that? Yeah, I don't think we're going to do that either, but keep going. But at, at the end, the, um, I, I, the Dauphin, I believe, brings uh, some tennis balls to... Uh, Henry, a, a sort of a mocking gesture from the other side, and I can't remember what the what message was. To uh, but then Henry goes into a, a little uh, speech about uh, about tennis. Let me ask you something. And that and court tennis, what we here in the U.S. call court tennis, what in England and Australia is referred to as real tennis, and in France as jeu de palme, uh, is is about the game uh, that was played at, at Shakespeare's time. Although Shakespeare was writing about an earlier time, of course. I know that Spalding, the athletic uh, company, was not around at the time of Shakespeare. What exactly are the tennis balls made of back then? Cloth. Cloth? Yeah. God, that must have been a terrible sport to watch. You're, you're taking a racket and you're whacking a cloth ball? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is where the... There's the, no there's no volleying in this sport. When, as you're when was rubber invented? Later. Yeah. We should end, shouldn't we? <laughs> Rubberized, vulcanized rubber was uh, invented... Uh, when was that? We we learned that in our history books, right? Did we? Yeah, I did. Oh, I mean, okay. well, for some I mean, reason, I don't know why. I didn't learn it well enough to remember who invented it. I just remember being taught, and I, I now I've forgotten. Uh, for listeners who have just been listening for a couple of months, <laughs> we're so so sorry. We'll try to do better. Next you knew time. what to expect as when the, I was on. As the, Does, the like of your guests, who who goes. Off topic, second most. Second most? Second most. Everybody else is tied for second. Really? <laughs> yes. 
Like they don't go off topic? Not no. You're number one with a bullet, my friend. Come on. How about Bill Mann? Uh, yeah, he's he's up there, but he's he's uh, tied with everybody else. Uh, he's maybe he's slightly ahead of everybody else, but but yeah, you're you're <laughs> you know you're so far ahead of everybody else, it's not even close. But hey, if you want to read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues, go to FoolFunds.com. Sign up for declarations. It's a free monthly newsletter. See, hopefully this will make up for this episode. The fact that you can go to sign up for declarations, free monthly newsletter, some really good investing insights and observations from the Fool Funds crew, and check out the latest episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's their one-year anniversary. It's a great podcast. Definitely check it out. Morgan Housel talking about the Fed, and there's a lot more going on there. Allison Southwick and Robert Brokamp. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Before the dawn, so independent of introspection. You better put your mittens on. Shake a jingle bell in my direction. Sometimes I feel like a big snowman that's falling under a plow. But tonight I'm on top of the world. We're gonna bring it around somehow. Christmas is starting now. Oh yeah, Christmas is starting now. Oh, that's right. Christmas is started now. Oh yeah. We gotta hang those stockings on the wall. This is no time for procrastination. We gotta trim that tree and deck the hall. That's gonna be a celebration. In just a few short hours till Santa comes to so get ready for the big finale. We're gonna dance like visions of sugar plums and shake it like a bowl full of jelly. Sometimes I feel like a big snowman that's falling under a plow. Christmas is starting now. Oh yeah, Christmas is starting now. That's right, Christmas is starting now. Oh yeah, Christmas is starting now. That's right. Started now. Oh yeah, Christmas is started now. That's right, Christmas is started now. Oh yeah, Christmas is started now. That's right, Christmas is started now. Oh yeah, Christmas is started now.